again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. This is the show taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the journal that brings you Memphis stories, ideas, and connections in one place. And I am Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis, and your host for the next 30 minutes of Storyboard 30. I want to start today's show with a little narrative. I'm going to read this. On the morning of February 7th, armed with an M16 rifle, Joe Tisha joined 50 other Marines on a convoy dropping off supplies at a, an artillery base. A dreary day overcast as they crossed over the Perfum River. On the way back at about 2 in the afternoon, the convoy was ambushed by North Vietnamese Army soldiers with small arms, machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades. We got hit with everything, he says. Marines went off the sides and, of trucks and into a ditch. Soon the road was a mass of tangled trucks, and the ditch on the other side was filled with NVA soldiers. I started shaking so bad I couldn't do anything, he says. They were right on top of us. It goes on, but I, I start the show off that way because today's show, we're talking with George Laramore, who is a longtime Hollywood producer and also a Vietnam veteran. His show, Vietnam 360, is a chance for Vietnam veterans to come on his television show here on WIPL Channel 18 and share their stories. So I, start, I thought I'd start today's show by sharing one of those stories because, George, you get into some of those, in, sometimes, in some cases, gruesome, but real stories about some of the veterans that have, um, uh, and, and their stories and, and what they have experienced and still experience mm -hmm. in, their, in their minds all these years later. So George Laramore, welcome to Storyboard 30. Mark, I appreciate you having me on Storyboard 30, and you're doing a great service in oh, your publication and, and this show. And I, I do want to say right up front, I appreciate the Library Channel uh, giving us an opportunity to do Vietnam 360. And, and the purpose of our show is really because Vietnam veterans like myself are getting older, mm -hmm. and we, we don't want to go forward in history and not have heard their stories. And Vietnam veterans, as as all veterans, are, are reticent to talk about what happened to mm -hmm. them. Uh, it's not just Vietnam. They just don't. They don't talk about what happened to them except perhaps with other people sometimes at a reunion or something. And our job, I feel, and we've done 14 shows now, is to get these, find these people in the Mid-South try to ask him to come on and talk. Joe Tisha is a great story because if, if you met Joe Tisha, you would think, God, what a nice grandfather he is. He is just the, the calmest, most mild-mannered, nicest individual to ever want to meet. That's who he is. The one thing that you didn't mention in telling a little bit of the story he told us on the show is that day, February 7th, 1968, he was a clerk. He was a typist. He was a typist who had had the desire to go to Vietnam. He had been in Okinawa, I think, and had the desire to go to Vietnam and to be a combat Marine. And that morning at the beginning of the Tet Offensive, they needed people to ride up to the city of Hue and take supplies up. He got on the truck. He had a rifle, as all Marines are basically are riflemen at their route. And he went up there on the truck. When they turned around and came back, they got attacked. He became, and I'm very reluctant to use the word war hero, but he became a war hero that day. He was honored with a silver star and a purple heart for what happened to him because, as he said, 
he just could not see his fellows be killed and wounded. And he stood up and found, uh, in, in the middle of his fear, he stood up and found courage to fight back. And he did. And and he was a, he was a wonderful guest on the show. And mm-hmm. one of uh, everybody who's been on uh, Vietnam 360 has had a different kind of story to tell. And we've tried really hard. We don't ask people to tell war stories, although sometimes they do. We ask people to tell stories, uh, particularly with African-American veterans who've been very important to, to who we're trying to reach, because their stories of to be black in America in the 1960s and then to go and serve your country and then to have the expectation that when you came home, things would be better because you would have paid your dues. Didn't always work out that way. Those are stories that we've, we've made a huge effort to, to find and present on this show. And we're still trying to get those people to talk to us today. The show, it serves, it seems to me it would serve many purposes because most of us, and I'm not a veteran, you know, most of us who are not veterans don't always know how to ask those questions or even to ask a question in general about someone's experience. And usually, like, my, my, my grandfather's 95 years old. He served in World War II. To this day, there's still things that he, he's 95 years old. He does not want to talk about. He might share them with a, he'll share them with a fellow veteran in a formal setting, like in an interview or something, and ask him. He will share it. But generally speaking, he does not want to talk about it, even to this day. You know, some of the things that he saw. So the show serves not only a chance for these veterans to tell their stories, for us at the, the library to record it as an oral history, but also to give them a chance to maybe share some of these things that they have not talked about in 40 years. Whether has whether it's a trauma that they carry around with them or not, it's a chance for them, a sense of redemption almost, if you will, if a, a sense of being able to unload, in some cases, a burden, I, w- I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's... There was a, a film that came out last year. They had the people, these people in New Zealand had all of, it was the, the, the 100th anniversary beginning of World War One. These people in New Zealand had had all of this film that was shot of these units from New Zealand fighting mm-hmm. in World War One. And Peter Jackson, who uh, is, a, is a very well-known. Lord director, of the Rings. Uh, Lord yeah, of the Rings, right. right. He made this wonderful film about it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things one of the veterans says in the film, which struck me, it really came home to me. This is World War One. This is a war in, in, in which the soldiers came home and didn't talk about it. And I always thought, well, it's just Vietnam veterans who don't know, like your grandfather. It's soldiers or Marines or sailors. It's just something that's it's 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 not that it's too harsh necessarily, although that is possibly true. But it's just something that happened only to them. And, and really, I think they think, think that no one else can really understand it. And that's been, um, you know, truthfully, we've been doing this show for a little over two years. And it's the hardest part is to find veterans who will talk. Although um, it's getting a little bit easier because of what the Library Channel does. On Veterans Day this year, for example, the Library Channel showed every show we had done, which yeah. was a wonderful thing for them yeah. to do. But we're reaching people finally. I had, uh, at the beginning, 
there's an organization here called the Vet Center, which is for veterans, and they work in association. Uh, a guy named Harvey Reed is the director over there, and Harvey's been on the show. But they work in association with the Veterans Administration to try to help veterans. But they have these groups where where people will sit around a room the size of this room, sometimes 10 or 12, sometimes 20. And they're, they're all Vietnam veterans, or most of them, and they'll talk about what their lives are like and what kind of difficulties they're dealing with, etc. We went to them, and, and I guarantee I spoke to six or seven different sessions of people. And I took business cards, and I said, this is what we're trying to do. I'm a veteran. All I want you to do is come on and, and put your stories on the record. Out of six or seven different groups, I got two guys total. Wow. Uh, but some people remember have me having been there two years ago, and I hear from them now and then. But we are reaching people, but it's very hard. And and it's just because they don't want to talk. I wrote a piece on Veterans Day this year for the Tri-State Defender, and uh, again, talking about the service of African Americans in, in Vietnam. I got two contacts from that, one of whom was a woman who had worked for the Red Cross, who is going to be on the show, you know, sometime later this year. But, you know, sometimes it's one person at a time. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say we should mention because, you know, if, if veterans listening, say, well, how do I how do I reach you? You yeah. know, so we'll mention this now. And I want to mention at the end of the show as well. But they can reach you personally. Yeah. At the email address, VietnamWar360 at gmail.com. So that's VietnamWar360, the number 360, at gmail.com. Again, we'll repeat that at the end of the show. But they can reach you that way, and, yeah. and they can they can ask you, how does this work? What can I talk about? I'm afraid to come on the show and be on television or whatever. They can ask you these questions, and you yeah. can you can kind of help them through the process. Exactly. If, if somebody can can reach out to me, then I'll call them on the phone. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and if they're reluctant to talk and don't want to, I understand that. I'm not going to try to force anybody to do anything. I would be happy to talk to someone on the phone and just let them feel me out about it. And like I say, we've got, I believe there are about 27,000 living Vietnam veterans in the area that includes so the mid south, the mid south, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are about twenty seven thousand Vietnam veterans, and again, trying to reach them through every way that that I know how, yeah. And just ask somebody, just talk to me, and, yeah. And your show being two years <coughs> old, it's really, it's really just just begun. The outreach, I should say, has just begun, and you know, hopefully, shows like this and the Tri State Defender, your article, the the article for the Daily Memphian last year. You know, those are going to uh, be some continual stepping stones to helping reach some of these folks. As you mentioned, roughly 27,000 some odd veterans in the Mid-South area, you said, served by our local... The vet center. Vet center. And and the, the VA hospital is an even broader reach than the vet center because mm-hmm. the vet center generally is dealing with people who have issues that they're trying to get resolved. Yeah. Or sometimes they just need someone to talk to yeah. or they need to feel like they're among their their compatriots. Yeah. But if you go to the, the veterans hospital here, countless 
veterans wearing hats that tell you what unit they were in, what branch of service they were in, when they served. Uh, it, it, it lets you know that a lot of these people, even though the Vietnam War was very controversial, People served with a lot of pride, and they still feel a lot of pride about that. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't, to this day, don't understand. Yeah. Because I think the the perception of the Vietnam veteran is an angry now old man, and and we're not all that way. <laughs> How did this come about? How did you start this program? I came I came back, I moved back to Memphis in in two thousand fourteen, and just trying to. You know how it is. You're trying to, at my age, and I'm 71, you're trying to find what is it that I need to do or what is it that I want to do. From having worked in TV for a long time, I knew that part of it. I knew about interviewing people. I am a Vietnam veteran myself. I have a lot of curiosity about them. I've written about Vietnam and Vietnam veterans. I had a piece in the New York Times year before last about some people that I was in, in with during uh, 1967, but I just I, I the more I wrote about it, and the more I uh, talked about it, the more I realized that I, out of all the things that I could do, this is something that that might perhaps have the most value. And I'm, I'm not trying to be anything or say anything except, you know, your grandfather, your uncle, your dad your cousin, whoever, who served in Vietnam, has a story to tell. We don't want it to happen that 50 years from now that our children go in the library and go, you know, they're writing a paper in school about the war in Vietnam and and for them to have no source of, of direct information about what it was like. And, 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 and you know how it is. You're a storyteller yourself. Everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. Every person you meet has a story. And the stories of people who went to Vietnam in the 1960s, in the middle of all that controversy, have incredible stories to tell. So why not? And and Tommy Warren was was so great. It didn't take five minutes for him to say yes, because he sensed, he knew that this is something that needs to be done. We've got 20, if it's 27,000 veterans sitting out there and and their children or grandchildren might know a tiny little bit. Let's give them an hour. Let them talk. Man, some of the stuff that you hear. I mean, the first show we had was a a gentleman, uh, Cecil Brunson, who was a POW. Mm -hmm. He got shot down over Vietnam uh, in a fighter plane in 19, I believe it was 73. I don't want to get that wrong, but he was incredible. I mean, he started out telling me about he's flying this. I forgot what kind of plane it was. I think it was an F four, but he was he was about to shoot at a Russian or, or Chinese MiG, flown by North Vietnamese pilots. He was getting ready to shoot at them, and he got hit with a missile, surface to air missile. And he's telling this story, which he's told many times before. But he said, "Yeah, you know," and the plane started spinning around like a plate. And I just pushed the button and I ejected. And I said, I said, Cecil, hang on a second. How fast were you traveling when this happened? He said, oh, about 500 miles an hour. Oh, boy. So uh, all I'm saying yeah. there, these are extraordinary things. And they're extraordinary tales. And they're not all that dramatic. But a lot of them are very dramatic. And they're very emotional. And we had a, two guys on a couple of weeks ago. The show hadn't aired yet, but they're uh, pilots. 
helicopter pilots. And this one guy who was was absolutely wonderful. He there he was a medevac pilot, which means that he flew a helicopter in to pick up dead and wounded Marines in this case to to bring them back and get them treated uh, as quickly as possible. And, that, and that's one of the real substantial uh, improvements in that occurred during the war in Vietnam is the ability to get wounded people out of action and into treatment quickly. But this guy is telling me, Frank Fado, he said, the worst thing was, he said, I never saw the people whose lives I saved. He said, I knew I saved people's lives because he did. Mm -hmm. That was his job. And he said he, he never had the opportunity to meet these people. And I felt bad for him for that. But, you know, that was part of the way it was. And and again, his story was so powerful because he was saying that when he went in to the, join this unit, the commanding officer says 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 you have one job, go get them. He said I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear any reason why you couldn't put that helicopter on the ground and picked up those wounded soldiers or marines. He said your job is to go get them. Most of us never have that opportunity to to have that kind of direct challenge to us, you know, yeah. or, or direct mission to us. And, yeah. and, and and the war was controversial. It's This is not me sitting here saying that what we as a country did in Vietnam was, was right and good necessarily all the time. I'm just talking about the people who fought in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all we're trying to do. If you're just tuning in, this is your host, Mark Fleischer. You're listening to Storyboard 30 on FM 89.3 WIPL. We're sitting with George Larimore, who is a Vietnam veteran, and also a longtime television producer. And I want to revisit that time for, for a moment because you happened to get into TV production in Memphis on local news stations at a time in the 70s when these veterans were returning from, from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It was quite an interesting time, interesting time here in Memphis and an interesting time to be in the media mm -hmm. where, as we talked about before we started the show, at a time when the media was not kind to Vietnam vets returning from the war. Yeah. And then you happen to be covering, you know, the news on WMC, on WREG and whatnot, you know, during those years. Vietnam was a, was a topic then. It was, it was the most recent war that we had fought. It was controversial. Hollywood spent, spent some time trying to figure Vietnam out. Yeah. But uh, it, truthfully, if you look back, if you consider how many Americans' lives were lost and how much energy and, and money and, and, and moral standing we spent on Vietnam, it hasn't really been done. I don't not not in terms of motion pictures or television, because it just never felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. Nobody. It just felt like Vietnam uh, to me. It, it was almost like a hangover. Yeah, we had the '60s and we had the protests at home and we had the war and people were killed and people allegations were made about what America did and what we did in the war. And so it was just not something people really wanted to talk about. Hollywood made a handful of movies, some of which were good, some of which were terrible, none of which really got to the heart of it. Most of it was the cliched character, yeah. which is in, in most of the time the one that, that I have the most trouble with is the notion that all Vietnam veterans are damaged people. 
And uh, as we were talking before we started, that's just simply not true. It's yeah. not true. There are a lot of are there were there a lot of damaged Vietnam veterans? Absolutely. But a lot of Vietnam veterans, as is our military today, a lot of Vietnam veterans came from situations where they might have had drug problems. They might have had problems with the law. They might have had a lot of them were, were not prepared to fight in a war emotionally or mentally. And we sent them anyway because nobody else wanted to go. And then, you know, we, the people that made the movies and the TV shows and covered the news, act surprised that they came da damaged. You mm -hmm. know, that's the hard part for me to accept. It seems like enough to say, look, these guys and now gals are human. We humans, everyone deals with situations differently. Everyone experiences what might be perceived from the outside world as something traumatic. We might experience it differently. We might deal with it differently. Everyone is human. Everyone has a different DNA. One incident, whether it be domestic or during a wartime situation, 10 guys might experience the same situation a little differently based on their own DNA, based on their own emotions, yes. right? To what you said about the depiction of them all coming back as you know, damaged, you're right. They're, it's human. They're human. And they all had different experiences and, and different takeaways from the, from the entire experience. I mean, look at, look at, look at the way that we, that we present how we see veterans today. Thank you for your service. Let's fly the jets over at the opening of the of the football game. Mm -hmm. You know, let's wave the flag. Let's talk about how much we want to spend to treat them for their injuries. Well, how is that different than Vietnam? How are they different than the veterans of Vietnam? They're not. It's mm -hmm. it's it's we who are different. Um the thing that troubles me, it troubled me then, it troubles me now. And that is 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 that is that we uh, America, the American people, we don't fight wars. We don't fight the war in Afghanistan. Uh, the Middle East has been going on for fifteen years. We did not. We did not fight the war in Vietnam. We paid someone to do it. The the, yeah. the percentage of people serving in the military in combat from the United States, I believe, is zero point. Four percent of the population. It is a fraction of a fraction. Yeah. My sons aren't going. Mm -hmm. Most people's sons and daughters are not going to Afghanistan to get hit by an IED. No, we're too busy going to college. We're too busy working our job. But we can wave the flag and feel better about ourselves because we've said thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. I think we as a as a nation need to need to face that. Mm -hmm. If we are going to fight wars like Vietnam, like Korea, which was very similar in a lot of ways, the war in Afghanistan, if we're going to fight these wars, then we need to make a commitment to it. We need we as a country need to say, OK, this is something we need to do. And if we're going to do it, then we should all do it mm -hmm. or we should all have a part, whether that means uh, community service or public service in lieu of serving in combat. But if we're going to do it, we need to stop waving the flag for football games. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a little bit like, you know, the depiction of the World War II era where everyone it seemed like played a part, which is not true. Yeah. You know, the the perception is is every single person played a part. War bonds, Rosie the Riveter, you know, all that. Uh, everyone played a part when 
it was not as depicted necessarily, but that's what's glamorized and that's what we look back mm-hmm. on. World War II is the great war, is the, is, you know, the war. And we have not done that as a country since Korea. It was, we've not made that investment as a country. And I say investment, not monetary investment, but I say investment in our psyche. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree with you a hundred percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a few minutes left, um, but I want to be sure that we um, we mention again your show, Vietnam 360, um, and the the fact that you know veterans listening can can email you directly, VietnamWar360 at gmail dot com, and again VietnamWar the number three six zero at gmail dot com. And there'd be no pressure by me or or, or anyone to try to persuade someone to talk. But if yeah. someone wants to talk to me about talking, I've got all the time in the world. Yeah. Okay? And I also want to mention as we as we wrap up, you know, you mentioned the experience of African Americans and especially in Vietnam and African Americans had a different experience returning home than, you know, white soldiers, right? Um and we as white men you know, have a it's it's a little bit more difficult for for us, and you also in, obviously invite them to the show. Um, what would you say to you know the African American vet, veteran sitting out there right now listening? I'm not black. Mm-hmm. I'm not black. I I I didn't sit inside your skin. I yeah. did not know what your life was about. But I would uh, um, the the mic is open to get you to tell me as much as you can in an hour. Yeah. If it takes a second hour, we'll do another hour. Yeah. But but it, it, we it said again, another thing I think we need to face up to is is the hypocrisy of it, mm-hmm. and and it was hypocritical. And I have a, a, I've had a gentleman on my show just the other day, who uh, Vietnam to him uh, is an African American man. Uh, mm-hmm. Vietnam to him was a good, was a positive experience because he learned things that he wouldn't have learned any other way, and he learned them more quickly. Mm -hmm. But I've had veterans on the show who will tell you that it was bitter. It was bitter coming back because, and and I've had people tell me that, well, I thought I had paid my dues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought I was going to be able to walk into any college and go to school, and I was going to walk out of that with my degree, and I was going to be able to get any damn job I wanted to. Mm Mm-hmm that I was qualified for, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And it still doesn't happen. I mean, it's better than it was. But again, that's that's what makes their stories so powerful. You know, and those are our stories. I shouldn't say the word there. Yeah, those yeah, are our yeah, stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is our culture. This is our country. And we need to applaud what we do well, and we need to face up to things that we don't. Yeah. And the way we treated... Uh, Men and women went in the military. Then, um, wasn't right. Yeah, it wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. This show is airing right around the holidays. When this show comes on, uh, uh, Christmas Day will have passed. We're looking at the the new year. Uh, George Larimore, Happy New Year! Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for coming in today. And once again, you can reach George at VietnamWar360 at gmail.com. And for those of you listening, happy holidays, happy new year. Look forward to more in the new year. And George, again, thank you for coming in. Um, 
Thanks again also to Jeff Hewlett and his fine acoustic guitar work, uh, to producer Stephen Ussery sitting in today for Vance Durbin, and to WYPL broadcast manager Tommy Warren, to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support, and to you listeners and supporters of the library and FM 89.3. We hope you join us next time for Storyboard 30 for more conversation with those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week.